Hi, and welcome back to the show. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and third time's a charm, so we'll say it one last time. Evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, zero judgment, and fantastic listeners equals getting chosen for the iTunes Best of 2014 podcast list. So a big thank you to all of you for listening. This week's episode is generously underwritten by lynda.com, which keeps the podcast free to you. lynda.com is an easy and affordable way to build your skills. You can instantly stream over 100,000 video tutorials created by experts in the field. And one of lynda.com's specialties is software courses, and they've got it all. Whether you're a designer, a software engineer, architect, marketing expert, or educator, you can learn how to get more out of the applications you use every day. And as a Savvy Psychologist listener, you get an exclusive deal with lynda.com to access all courses free for 10 days. So visit lynda.com slash savvy to try lynda.com free for 10 days. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash savvy. This week, we'll take a look at giving through a psychological lens. So aside from bringing tidings of comfort and joy to the recipient, giving benefits the giver as well. But altruism is tricky. We're more willing to help one person than many. That's why aid organizations profile a specific child when asking for donations. We're more likely to give when we have less. Wealthy people give a smaller percentage of their income to charity and are more likely to cut back during hard times. And even that long-held Darwinian notion of selfishness, survival of the fittest, is being rethought. Turns out that fittest actually means nicest. Indeed, evolutionarily, those who play well with others are more likely to survive than those who go it alone. So what are some of the other perks of being nice? This week, we'll look at three big benefits of giving. Benefit number one, giving may actually make you live longer, but only if it's manageable. So one theory is that giving to others builds social connection, which in turn buffers us against stress and thereby makes us healthier. A 2013 meta-analysis, or study of studies, found that volunteering reduced risk of dying in adults 55 and over by 24%, even when taking their health into account. And another study from 2011 followed over 10,000 people for nearly 50 years and found that those who volunteered over the last four years of the study had a lower risk of dying than non-volunteers, especially if they volunteered regularly and frequently. However, it wasn't just the fact that they volunteered that protected them. Looking deeper, only those who volunteered out of true altruism, wanting to help others or feeling compassion for those in need, reaped the rewards of a longer life. Those who volunteered as an escape from their own problems or to feel better about themselves had the same mortality risk as those who didn't volunteer at all. On the flip side, however, giving that overwhelms the giver takes a big toll. For example, a 2005 study established that 25% of Alzheimer's caregivers have clinically significant anxiety, while another 10% suffer from depression. And a study published in the prestigious Journal of the American Medical Association found that the stress of caring for a cancer patient increases the caregiver's risk of dying by 63%, even up to five years after the patient's passing. So to sum up, give genuinely and regularly. But if at all possible, stay within your own capabilities. Benefit number two, giving is linked to a stronger immune system. 
So there are two kinds of happiness, and your body can tell the difference, which personally blows my mind a little. So the first kind of happiness is self-gratification, what you feel when you eat a cupcake or win a few bucks at your weekly poker night. And the other kind of happiness comes from a sense of meaning and direction, what you feel when you contribute. Now, happiness from self-gratification isn't necessarily bad. Indeed, this time of year, life without Christmas cookies or presents would be kind of sad. But only the happiness that comes from meaning and purpose strengthens your immunity. So how does this happen? Well, now we're going to get even more nerdy than usual, so push up your glasses. Here we go. First, let's talk about gene expression. Think back to eighth grade science. Your genes store information, much like a cookbook. And when genes are expressed, it's as if that cookbook is opened and a recipe is made. And the product of our genes recipes are most often proteins. So now, if you're under constant stress, you can never make ends meet no matter what you do, you don't know if you'll have a job next week, or you're in an abusive relationship, for example, your gene expression will likely create more proteins that are associated with chronic inflammation. You'll also create fewer proteins that are involved in fighting off viruses and bad bacteria. This kind of gene expression is a sign of high, quote, conserved transcriptional response to adversity, or CTRA. A high CTRA is associated with all sorts of health risks, higher chances of heart disease, infections, and neurodegenerative diseases, just to name a few. Okay, so let's tie this back to altruism. In a 2013 study out of UCLA, researchers found that people reporting high levels of happiness from meaningful and purposeful activities, helping others, contributing to society, had a low CTRA, the kind of immune response profile we want. On the other hand, people whose happiness came primarily from hedonistic self-gratification had the high CTRA profile we'd prefer to stay away from. In short, our genes can tell if we're helping. But what's even crazier, the participants in the study reported happiness as happiness. There was no difference in how people felt, regardless of whether their happiness came from self-gratification or meaningful altruism. But their immune systems still played out differently. Benefit number three, giving is linked with better mental health. In a study of more than 2,000 churchgoers, researchers found that both helping and receiving help from others in the congregation was linked to better mental health. Intuitive so far, right? And FYI, they defined mental health as a combination of better mood, less anxiety, feeling energetic, good social relationships, and being able to do one's work well. But the strongest predictor of being mentally healthy wasn't receiving help, it was helping others. Now, as a good scientist, I have to say, in addition to the possibility that helping makes you healthy, it's also possible that being mentally healthy in the first place allows you to help others. So let's look at an old 1980 study for more clues. In this one, retired senior citizens who volunteered were compared to those who didn't volunteer. And even after the researchers ruled out the possibility that being sick or disabled prevented the non-volunteers from signing up, the volunteers' mental health still came out on top. Specifically, they scored significantly lower on depression, anxiety, and somatization, which is experiencing psychological stress as physical symptoms. Plus, they scored way higher on satisfaction with life. In a final example, a 1999 study followed a group of women with multiple sclerosis who were in a peer support program. Some were volunteer peer supporters, and some received support from the volunteers. After three years, it became clear that everyone did well. 
but the benefits for the volunteers were even bigger than the benefits for the people they helped. The rewards? Compared to the women who received support, the volunteers showed greater improvement in depression, confidence, and self-esteem, just to name a few. And in interviews, the volunteers talked about a dramatic positive change in how they thought of themselves and their ability to make a difference. With that, it looks like the cards are stacking up in favor of altruism leading to good mental health. So to wrap up, let's think about the end of A Christmas Carol. After the transformative visits from the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, the more Scrooge gives to others, the happier, more vital, and less Scroogeish he becomes. He learned the true meaning of Christmas and was better off for it. If The Savvy Psychologist is useful to you, let me know by subscribing to the podcast or recommending the podcast to someone important in your life. And big thanks again to today's sponsor, lynda.com. lynda.com is an easy and affordable way to help you or your organization learn. You can instantly stream thousands of courses created by experts on business, software, web development, graphic design, and more. And for a free trial, visit lynda.com slash savvy. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson. And next week, for the first time since the podcast started 50 episodes ago, I'm taking a week off. But have no fear. We're going to bring out an appropriate oldie but goodie. Why your New Year's resolutions fail and how you can change the pattern. In the meantime, a transcript of the podcast and references for the studies I mentioned, and there were lots of them this week, are available 24-7 on quickanddirtytips.com slash savvy hyphen psychologist. And of course, the savvy psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and doesn't substitute for psychiatric care or psychotherapy by a licensed professional. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next year for a happier, healthier mind.